0: I'm excited to be with you guys today, and we're going to take a look at, I am, the bread. Obviously, the bread's now getting a little stale up here, but I'll still eat it because I like bread. Um, But we're going to be taking a look at that today. But before we kind of jump into that, one of the things Melanie, my wife, and I, we love to just go to like, you know, iconic cities and towns around the United States. I mean, when we first got married, we went to San Francisco, and did all the San Francisco-y things a couple of years ago. We went to like Riverwalk on San Antonio, and so this, just a couple of weeks ago, we went to New Orleans. That town is insane. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's parts of it that aren't, but we do all the touristy type things. That place is crazy. And we went after we thought we're going to go after Mardi Gras, so they'll be a little bit more chilled out and calm and normal. Wrong. Um, they're still just off the chain rowdy. We went um, to one of the, you know, the the garden district where they've got old homes, these big huge oak trees, and it's just a pretty area of New Orleans. And as we rode on the little, the little rail car, we see beads and streamers still dangling out of the trees from the party that happened two weeks ago. And then we see these big trucks that are clearing out the beads out of the trees, and the guy says, well, the They're finally clearing them out because they're getting ready for the next party. Um, A St. Patrick's Day party was going to come through and they're going to throw new beads and new streamers in the trees. So they had to clear out all the junk to throw it away to get ready for the next party. I'm like, this town just never stops. And so my wife and I, we went to a little jazz club for dinner. And then we thought, you know what? It's night. Let's go walk down Bourbon Street. That street is completely insane. I mean, it, I thought Broadway on Nashville with all the bachelorette parties was a little wild. Nothing on Bourbon Street. First off, Bourbon Street is way longer and crazier. Um, it's If you've got children, it's not the place for them. No, it's not. I saw a lot of kids there. Don't, don't take them there at night. It's just not their place. But it was great people watching. I mean, we were we were enjoying just watching the people, but they were just filling up on all kinds of indulgences. And there was a skunky smell in the air, if you know what I mean. Very prominent. And all of a sudden, I started getting a little feeling that I haven't felt for a very long time in my head, in my belly. And I was like, I don't think we need to be here anymore. Uh, I do not need to be the pastor that's dazed and confused in the bayou down here. Like This is, this is not the spot for us. So, you know, we, we head back to our Airbnb and we're just laughing about the things, you know, and the stuff that we'd experienced that day and enjoying each other's company. But again, we went there a couple of weeks after Mardi Gras and we started thinking, you know, the season after Mardi Gras, you're supposed to give up a lot of that stuff. And this is a town that just continues to celebrate, always looking for the next thing to fill their lives, to fill their bellies. If you don't know what Mardi Gras is, it just stands for Fat, it's it's French for Fat Tuesday. And so the history behind that is Fat Tuesday leads into Ash Wednesday, which leads into Lent. Lent is a 40-day season that, that it's, a, it's actually a Christian holiday, honestly. And it's a 40-day season leading up to Easter, where people would give up rich foods and they'd spend some time fasting to focus on what is the greatest thing of all time is Jesus giving his life for us and then raising from the dead. And so for you know, just generations and centuries, people, what they would do is on this Tuesday, um, food was not easy to store. It was harder to come by. But on this Tuesday, to not be wasteful, they would eat all the rich and like fatty and all that food out of their their um, storehouses. And so that's why they called it Fat Tuesday, because they were getting ready to go into a season where they're going to just focus on Jesus and eat a little bit blander, do some fasting. And that's why around this time of year, you'll see a lot of like restaurants, that are pushing their nasty fish sandwiches. That's gross. Nobody wants that. I'm sorry if you do, you shouldn't. Um, But it's because it's a season of Lent where they're just eating a little bit differently, leading a little bit blander. But the people in Orleans do not celebrate that way. They're like Mardi Gras on Tuesday and then it's the next day and then it's the next day and it's forever. And sometimes, honestly, that's how we live our lives. We spend 80 some odd years chasing the next thing to fill our life, to indulge, to fill our belly, to make us feel like we're finally, you know, excited. We, we run from party to party, celebration to celebration, meal to meal to meal. And man, I love doing the, I love, you know, just spending time, new adventures, celebrating. But if that's the focus of your life, you're always going to be feel, feeling a little bit of a void. You're always going to be chasing the next thing. And we live in a society that does that. And I'm not saying this because I want you guys to celebrate Lent or, you know, if you want to do that, that's great. But it's really just to focus in on, man, we've missed what it means to actually give up something to have hunger for Jesus. Wow. We've given up what the purpose was. You walk into Walmart and every time you walk in there, they're getting ready for the next celebration, the next season. Every time. Every time. You go from one thing to the next, to consume to consume, always moving towards the next thing to fill our lives. And this sounds gross, but man, the sewers are filled with the things that filled our bellies at one point. The landfills are filled with the celebrations that we have for other people. This, these great decorations are not just waste. God has something for us that will last forever. And those things are great and they're fun, but they cannot fill the void that we have in our heart, in our soul that's seeking something more. Today, we're going to talk about what that more is. So since you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today, and we're going to take a look at the I am statement Jesus made of I am the bread of life. It's kind of a weird thing when you think about it in the context, man, if you've been around church at all. It doesn't sound strange, but if, just think if a friend walked up to you and said, I am bread, you'd be like, you are weird. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? But there's a context to this, and we're going to take a look at what this is. Um, so before we do it, let's just pray. God, we surrender this day to you. God, we pray, God, that your word would be glorified, magnified. God, that Jesus would be lifted up, that people would come to a saving knowledge of him. We pray this in Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Um. So in John chapter 6, we land at the beginning of John chapter 6. is a very famous miracle. There's only two miracles that are recorded in all four of the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One is the resurrection, and the other one is the feeding of the multitudes. Um, So we land at this this miracle here in John chapter 6. And what we see is there's thousands of people that are coming out to to see and to hear and to meet Jesus. I think it says 5,000 in this passage Um, you know, that's men. There could have been up to 10 to 20,000 people that are there. And Jesus always sees a need and is wanting to meet the need, whether that's healing, whether that's teaching. And he sees this need of these people are hungry. We need to get them some food. So he turns to his friends and he says, hey, you need to feed them, get them some food. Philip, he's one of the disciples, like, man, we do not have enough money to be buying all these thousands of people food. Where in the world will we get this? the other disciple over here, Andrew, he sees a little boy with his lunch and he's like, let's steal that. You know, we can, we can take that and do something with it. Um, and whenever I read this passage, I always think through, man, when, when I face a situation in life, do I see a problem? Do I see a problem like Philip saw or do I see potential like Andrew saw? Because Andrew saw even just a little lunch and he saw there's some potential there that could, I don't know, we put it in the hands of Jesus. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do. Here's what I also find that's interesting. Jesus already knew, it says, what the solution was, but he turned to his friends to actually be a part of it. Jesus already has the solution for everything, but he uses us to do his work. But we have to take whatever we have and allow it to be put in his hands. So they find the little lunch, they put it in Jesus' hands, and when you take whatever you have and put it in the hands of Jesus, he can do incredible things. Don't think, hey, once I have enough, then I'll give enough. Once I finally have, then I'll start tithing and being generous. Once I finally have a a little bit more time, then I'll start serving. Man, get whatever little bit you have and just watch what happens when you put it in the hands of Jesus. So he takes the lunch, puts it in the hand of Jesus, and then they just start distributing it and passing it out. Thousands are fed and there's leftovers at the end because God always does more than enough. There's leftovers at the end. Everyone's fed. And to us, like, that's a cool little thing they did. To these people, that stirred them up even more. That got them even more excited about who Jesus was. He had already taught them. They'd seen him do some miracles. And now he's fed their bellies. To us, food is easy to access. We may not always have the finances to buy the things that we want, but we have Walmart that's always got bread. They've always got food. Food was harder to access and not everyone had it. There was a lot of hunger. So Jesus met a very tangible need in their life. And it got them excited. This guy just made, where'd this even come from? And it says they got so excited that they wanted to force him to be king. They were like, let's make this guy king. And then you read in that passage, it says that Jesus withdrew quietly. And we might read that and be like, well, doesn't he want to be king? Why would he withdraw? Let me remind you of this. Jesus already is king. He already is king. He didn't need them to say, oh, you're king now. He already is king. He didn't need them to put a gold crown on his head. He spoke gold into existence. He doesn't need them to put it on his head. One day, Jesus will return to be that type of a king. But at this point, he was there to set up a different type of a kingdom. He wanted to be king of our hearts, of our souls, of our lives. So he withdraws quietly. And it says he goes to the other side of the lake. Now, the way he gets there is strange. Um, he walks, you know, because that's, that's cool. People can walk on water. Jesus can Um, So he goes to the other side of the lake, and that's what we're going to pick up today. Um, John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. But I want to point just, I want to give you my one big point and one big question today. The one big point I want us to think through the whole time is just stuff never really satisfies. Stuff never really satisfies. You know, there's an old clip of um, the actor, Jim Carrey, and he goes, I wish every, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and just realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Stuff never really satisfies. And then the one big question I want us all to really think through is just, how's your appetite? And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But John chapter 6, verse 25. So these people are seeking after him. And it says, when they finally found him, they asked him, teacher, how did you get here? Now, two things are happening. First off, they're like, you didn't get in a boat. How did you get here? Well, he walked. So that's the first thing they're kind of asking. But they're also coming to him like, hey, how would you get here? They're starting this conversation. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and you know they want something? Like, hey, buddy, how are you? And you've got the tool they want or the money they want. I've got kids. And when they come and say, dad, I love your haircut. I'm like, how much money do you want? Because I'm not giving it to you. But they're coming first off, like, how did you get here? But also they want something. Remember their bellies had been full and they're like, we want this guy to do this again. And so Jesus replied, verse 26, I'm reading from the passion Passion translation today. Um, Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that's perishable and not be passionate to seek the food that is eternal life that never spoils? I, the son of man, am ready to give you what matters most. For God the Father has destined me for this purpose. So he's saying, man, you came for something temporal. I came to give you something spiritual. It's kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago with the woman at the well. She came for water and he came to give her just a fresh drink of new life. And they're not quite getting it because again, they're just, they're wanting the, this. And he said, I've found something better. So they think, well, usually if we want something from God, we have to work and do something for God to get it. So they ask this question. So what should we do if we want to do God's work? Jesus, it's like, okay, they think they need to work to get this thing. So he tells them the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one that he sent. He said, here's the work that you need to do, believe. It starts with believing. And for some of us, we're like, Okay, um, I don't like that because we want a box to check to show that we're doing the right thing. And believing is sometimes a little bit difficult because like, am I believing? What's... And Jesus is saying, you've got to start with that work. Do you actually believe and trust in who I am? It's not behavior modification. It's believing differently. And so it's, I don't ever want us to just think when we're preaching up here that it's about behavior modification. It's trying to change the way that you see and know who Jesus is so that you have a proper belief and trust in him. So verse 30, 31, they don't like this believe thing. So they say, well, if you want us to believe in you, this is what they said. Show us a miracle so that we can see it and then we'll believe in you. It's like do the dance and then we'll think you're a good dancer. So they're saying, show us the miracle and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of man every day in the desert. Just like the scripture says, he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? They're saying, you want us to believe in you? Prove it. Prove it. Do something. Hey, our ancestors, they got food. Why don't you do that again? Because again, they just want food. We sometimes do that, honestly. We say, God, well, if you do this, then I'll do this. We turn into like vending machine, God. If I put in this combo, God, and you do this combo, then I'll believe that you are who you are. Or we say, God, before, remember when I prayed and you answered this way? Do that thing again. And Jesus is like, I will work how I want to work. You just have to believe and trust. I, I mean, we all have a hard time with that. Or we look at somebody else and we say, they got this, Jesus, do that again. Jesus goes on and he says, the truth is, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, it's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Again, they still don't completely get it, and they said, sir, give us this bread every day. Jesus said this, he said, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you'll never be hungry. I think it's important for us to read that. Sometimes we, if you're follower of Christ, you've accepted the bread for the first time. You're like, okay, I know I need salvation. I know I need to follow Jesus. So we partake of the bread, but he says, come to me every day. So it's something that we've got to partake in who Jesus is on a daily basis. You don't eat once and then be like, okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. You have to eat every day. You have to eat every day. And if you miss a day, you should be hungry. So partake of what Jesus has for you. He says, believe in me, you'll never be thirsty. Yet I've told you, even though you've seen me, you still don't believe in me. They had experienced something good, but they were wanting something simple. And a lot of times God wants to give us something good, but we want something easy. It's like the kid that would rather have microwave hot dogs. And you're like, I've got filet mignon, but they're like, we don't know what that is. And that's taking too long. I can take this hot dog and put it in the microwave. And a lot of times we settle for the microwave hot dogs of life. And Jesus is like, I prepared something way better for you. Way better for you. So that leads me to this question, and I want you to think about this. How's your appetite? Have you wasted it? Does it need to change? Are you filling up on the hot dogs of life? Here's what this means. How many of you guys, we've all probably been out to eat at those places that they, they like, fill you up with stuff before they give you the real stuff? Yeah. Like bread. Like, you know, you go to... Um, Texas Roadhouse, Outback, Longhorn. They give you awesome bread. It's great. I love it. But we can easily fill up on that stuff. You guys know my weakness. It's Tostitos, taco chips. Think about when you go out to a Mexican restaurant. What are they giving you? A basket full of that stuff. So you put a basket of that stuff in front of me. I'm eating it. And then they're going to do what? They bring out another basket of that stuff. And what happens is the thing that I've actually paid for, that's been prepared for me, that's been purchased when they finally bring it out I'm already full Mm -hmm. and it seems silly but a lot of times we fill up on the cheap and easy stuff when God's prepared something and paid for something way better than that he paid for your salvation he paid for a better hope and we just fill up on the easy stuff And so then when it comes time to actually like fill ourselves up with the things of God, we don't have a hunger anymore. When they finally bring out, you know, that enchilada, I ate all the taco chips, I'm not hungry for that thing anymore. And we feel like our lives are full and satisfied, honestly, because we filled up on the wrong stuff. So some of us don't have a hunger anymore for the things of God because we filled our lives up with all kinds of other stuff and our appetite has changed. A lot of kids, they hate vegetables. And all of a sudden, as adults, you start to just, your, your taste buds start to change because you just start exposing yourself to different things. You know, how many of you guys remember the very first time, maybe as you were a child, that you drank coffee? How many of you guys like coffee now? <laughs> the first time you drink coffee, unless somebody puts a bunch of milk and sugar in it, it tastes like dirt, be honest. <laughs> it just does. But after time your appetite starts to change. And now some of y'all, you look forward to going to bed because you look forward to waking up and having coffee. That's the only reason you look forward to it. But your appetite, you now crave something. And a lot of times our appetites get messed up. And we start craving the wrong things. And we've got to reshape and refashion our appetites to be after the things of God. And that means sometimes we've got to push away the chips. We've got to push away our desire for more stuff we got to push away our desire to be found. Like, man, if I finally get this relationship with somebody, then I'll, I'll be secure. Man, if I finally get this thing, I'll finally have all I need. Things are great. I love chips. But they're not worth filling our lives up on. Those are just a side benefit. They're a starter to point you towards what's real. So don't fill your, don't, don't, don't fill your life up with the wrong things so that you no longer have a hunger for the things of God. So that's a big question for us. That's a question I have for myself, for you, for our church, for our town. Like, how hungry are we? Do we actually have a desire and a hunger for the things that God wants for us? Because if we're after Jesus, if we're after the lost, if we're like these kids and students need to know about Jesus, those are things that are things of God. Those are things worth being hungry for. Those are things that Jesus paid the price for. Let's develop a hunger for those things. And sometimes we have to change our appetites. We have to change our appetites. And here's the first way we have to do that is just going in and saying, God, I'm gonna need you to change my appetite because right now I have an appetite for blank. Some of us have appetites for um, power, wealth, lust, And our appetite needs to be changed. And we need to ask God, first off, God, you change my heart, change my desires. God, help me to desire more things of you. And then we have to start taking steps. And it might be a little odd or difficult at first, but we have to actually start doing, we have to start being disciplined, which is that daily thing of just walking out disciplines. Maybe you're a person that you need to go on a walk and just say, God, speak to me, show me what you want Maybe it's just opening up our scripture. It's spending time in prayer. We have to do the disciplinary things to sometimes build up the appetite for more of God. And before you know it, when you don't have that, you, you want it. You need more of it. When you start attending church faithfully, when you start finding a community of believers that are like-minded, you're like, I need to be with my friends. I need to be what's going on at that, with, with these people. I need to be at church You've got to build up an appetite for it sometimes. And Sometimes we're so inconsistent that we don't actually have an appetite for it because it's just kind of like a thing. It's just a thing. I enjoy it, but it's just a thing. You, know, you might have a popsicle once in a while, but it's not something you have to have all the time. You can't let the things of God just become a little side dish that's just a thing. Have an appetite for it. Have a hunger for it. Have a desire for it. I'm going to skip down. Verse 51. Jesus says a lot of stuff here, and some of it's crazy sounding. His I alone am the living bread that has come to you from heaven, eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. These words of Jesus sparked an angry outburst among the Jews. They protested saying, does this man expect us to eat his body? They're, it's cannibalism is what they're thinking now. I'm like, seriously, that's where they are. And we see it from an outside perspective that he's talking about your soul hungers for who I am. But if we would have been at that day, we'd probably been in the same place. Like what in the world is he talking about? This is so strange. And then he goes on and he gives some clarification here, but it doesn't, it still sounds wild. He says, Jesus replied to them, listen to this eternal truth. "'Unless you eat the body of the Son of Man "'and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life.'" Now, if it just stopped right there, you'd be like, "Um, oh, this is odd. But he says, "'Eternal life comes to the one "'who eats my body and drinks my blood, "'and I will raise him up in the last day, "'for my body is real food and for your spirit.'" That's important right there. And "'My blood is real drink. "'The one who eats my body and drinks my blood "'lives in me, and I live in them. "'The Father of life sent me, and he is my life. "'In the same way, the one who feeds upon me, "'I will become his life.'" Man, I pray to God that he becomes my life. That I'm consuming so much of him that I just, I I reflect who he is. You know, our life, if you're filling your life up with just eating junk, your outside appearance will probably start to show some of those things. If you're filling your life up with things that are healthy, your outside appearance will probably start to show some of those things. Let's fill our lives up with consuming the things of God. He says, I am not like the bread your ancestors ate and later died. I'm the living bread that comes from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. Jesus came that we could have better life here on this earth, but also a life that goes on forever. He's the bread that fully satisfies. The experiences and cravings of an unsatisfied world will point us towards our need for something deeper. Something greater, something eternal. Something of heaven. Our deep desires point us towards Jesus, is what they point us towards. And some of us we just we need to recalibrate. We need to get back. We need to restart that relationship. We need to do less of trying to seek what God has for us and seek to be with Jesus. Amen. And one of the common ways that we we worship and re, we relate with who God is um, for centuries has been the worshipful act of communion. And so you guys all have, you know, our, our communion elements. And it's a tradition that the church has celebrated ever since the Last Supper, even before that the people of God celebrated through the Passover what God had done to save them. Jesus reestablished it in a new way, showing that his body, that he came lived flesh and bones, and that his body was given and lived freely for us. His blood was shed in our place to cover all of our sins. When we do the first thing I said, which is the work of just to believe. And so a lot of people have a strong opinion about communion. I've got all the questions before. You know, there's different thoughts on it. But there's a couple things that scripture is pretty clear on when it comes to this. First thing is just when we take it it's pausing to actually remember what Jesus has done who he is how incredible and amazing and never taking that for granted just letting it sink into our hearts like wow so one of the things it just says is do this and when you do it remember remember but it also it tells us to reflect that we need to go inward and just say, okay, God, do I have a hunger and a desire for you? I'm about to take these elements that show that I believe that you are the bread and you're, you, you are the, the life. And, but do I actually have a hunger for that or am I just going through emotion? Because I don't want any of you to go through emotion of taking communion if you don't have a hunger for more of what Jesus has for you. And so we get a chance to evaluate our own selves. And sometimes we're doing pretty decent, but we just need to say, okay, God, this is a good reminder. I do want more of you. Sometimes it's a reminder to shift a little bit because we can have a hunger for good things that are just a little off. So as I was writing this, I was thinking, God, how's my hunger? How's my appetite? What do I have an appetite for? And I was kind of, God's always in the business of making little tweaks. He's like, here's what you've, you've been kind of having an appetite more for achievement, which is doing things for me instead of doing things with me. And it seems so simple, but some of us, we get so focused on maybe doing things for God that we focus on, it's like, that's not bad. It's just, we can sometimes doing them without actually having relationship with him. It's like the kid that does all their chores, but doesn't actually like mom and dad. And so I've been convicted on my own, like, okay, I want to get back in right relationship with you. But today we're going to, we're going to take communion together. And I want us, as we do this, we're going to take a moment or two to just reflect on the goodness of who Jesus is, to think through, wow, how incredible the sacrifice, how incredible the price that he paid for us. But I also want you guys to really think through, okay, how's my hunger? How's my appetite? Because I'm excited to be the pastor of this church, but I don't want to be a pastor of a church that has a hunger just to sit in chairs. I don't want to be a pastor who just has a hunger for standing up here. I have a hunger to lead, disciple, duplicate, multiply. Like I'm already thinking, I think less about this and more about, hey, can I get in smaller group rooms with you guys? I want you guys to have a hunger for that too. Not just to sit here facing this way, but to sit in circles facing each other so you can encourage each other, so you can pour into each other's lives, so you can actually be a church. I told Jace and a couple of the guys, I'm like, I understand why we do this. Man, sometimes I hate it. I wish we could sit in different arrangements. I get that this is the modern way and if somebody came from the outside and all of a sudden we're sitting in circles, they'd be like, this church is weird. (laughs) But I want you guys to find a spot where you're serving and you're in community and that's what you have a hunger for. Not just to come here and to feel good. I want that for you too. But that's the chips. So let's evaluate as a church. Let's evaluate personally. We're going we're gonna to just take a minute. And just with not a lot of noise and silence, I want you to think about your own life, but I also want you to ponder and think about how good Jesus is. So let's just, let's just quietly and calmly do that.